0: So, this morning we are reminded that our climate is behaving rather oddly, with a bit of snow on the ground, but as nothing compared to what people up north are experiencing. It's unbelievable, isn't it? What they have to cope with. People in Venice. We thought there would be enough water in Venice, but to the, I think it's the, the sixth time in the whole history of Venice since the Middle Ages that there's been flooding, anything like that extent. And terrible damage to the buildings and to the livelihoods of people there. The fires sweeping across Australia, where even in Sydney is filled with smoke. And the droughts and the famines and all the things that we don't hear in the headlines are there. David Attenborough's programmes have given us another insight into the fragility of this planet. And unapologetically, that series, Seven Worlds, One Planet, is seeking to highlight the ways in which our climate is being changed by human actions and the consequences of what is happening are laid before us. But I was listening to an interview with the editor, sorry, the producer of that series on the radio 4 and she said something that helped me to understand why there's such an emphasis on the way that they structure that program. I don't know how many people have been watching that uh, program seven worlds one planet. About half of us, okay. I think it'd be a great thing for all of us to catch up on, if you can, on the Sunday evenings, just to watch those programs. Because she said that the caring for the planet uh, is one thing that we all obviously should be doing. But we don't usually get moved into action on the basis of shoulds. She said that action to care comes from a heart that loves. And we can't truly care for the planet until we love the planet. And you know, for me, that was an absolute light bulb moment. We can't care, truly care for this planet without loving first. I think, you know, in life, isn't it, how much more are you motivated that you'll do anything and everything to care for a loved one in hospital or in a care home if you are loving them compared to the fantastic staff that there are in hospitals or care homes and they do all they can to help but they don't have that Passion that you and I would have for our loved one. They can't love everyone in anything like the extent that we do. So I think that this is a truism that we find it hard to truly care to the extent that we could until we really love that which we are seeking to care for. And it set me questioning what helps me to love? What helps me to love? Well, I've always had a very, very um, great relationship with Edwin Hatch's hymn, Breathe on Me, Breath of God. It's for me a mantra that I sometimes use as a prayer as uh, as I come to him in signs of silence. Breathe on me, breath of God. Words taken from Ezekiel's passage in 37, with the Valley of the Dry Bones. Breathe on me, breath of God. Fill me with life anew. I want to be alive to you. I want to be filled with the breath of God. When Jesus came to his disciples in his risen life, he breathed on them, didn't he? And he filled them with that light. So, Lord, breathe on me, breath of God. But why? I'm sure you're able now to recite many of you, the next lines. Fill me with life anew that I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. That's, says the hymn writer, with great inspiration the reason why we're praying that God's breath would fill us in order that I may love what God loves and do what God would do. So we're praying that God might breathe us and fill us again with his Holy Spirit because it's through that infilling of the Spirit and us being willing to breathe it in, to be in that relationship with God so that he can come toward and kiss us as it were, give us mouth to mouth resuscitation, <laughs> because without that we die but uh, the, the whole i't that's another story but, uh, but the fact is that the the God who comes toward us wants to fill us with his love for each other and for his world, because he is a God that loves this world. we heard it in John three and verse sixteen, which just is so familiar that we can easily miss the significance of it. God so loved the world, loved the world so much, that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now the word for world here is, in the Greek, kosmos which is saying something to us about what God is loving. We often think about God loving the world and the people in the world. But the Greek shows that Jesus is thinking of a far wider ambit of God's love than just the people in the world who he wants to believe in him and therefore have eternal life and not perish. But that the world in this context means the people and the planet, the whole of the world in which we are living, we see something far greater than just something that affects us or other people. And his desire that it shall not perish, but have life that is sustained throughout eternity, is embedded in this verse too. Whoever believes in him should not perish, but also there's a hint at what can the future be for a world that God loves. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, to write it off, but to save the world, and the world save, of course, means heal, bring into wholeness, bring into completion, to save the world through him. The world, the cosmos, not just people. So God is a God whose heart is for the whole planet and for the little creatures. You saw last week's episode, a little frog that's a centimetre long. It's all striped and then looks after its young by transferring it from one little bit of um, pond or or water to another and jumping all over the... Well, you know, it's just (laughs) incredible. And that programme, of course, seeks to give you a relationship with the animals and the plants and the, uh, the wildlife, the sea creatures, uh, and you build up this relationship with them, so, and you see them enacting with one another, interacting with each other, and then you think, oh, isn't that fantastic? Oh, I love that little frog, all those amazing pumas. And then, of course, you're confronted with the fact of their potential future. That by building a relationship with the planet, we begin to see things in a way that allows us to enter into caring for it out of love. In the same way that God loves this world. So I may love what thou dost love and do what thou wouldst do. So, God's world, and it is God's world, in Psalm 24, you know, the, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all that dwells therein, it is the Lord's, and how does the Lord relate to who and what he's made? He loves it. And that's why in Colossians, Paul is wanting to make this same point, that Jesus is the great lover of our world. For in him all things were created, he says. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, not just people. Whether thrones, powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. They are God's loving gift to Jesus and from Jesus to us. For God was pleased, God was thrilled, God was so absolutely head over heels, as it were, to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus. The whole of God is there in Jesus. And through him, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. And this cross that I brought, which was made by Messy Church, and as some of you, I spoke a little bit about this a few weeks ago in a uh, different service, but this cross uh, is made up of broken pieces of pottery. It's wonderfully put together again with all its bits but cemented together by all this gluey, gungy stuff, (laughs) which, for me, represents the way that the love of God holds things together, all the brokenness of people's lives, but also the fragility and brokenness of our hurting world. And that Paul is saying in this passage, in Christ through his blood shed on the cross, Jesus is reconciling all things to himself. He's in that process of doing it. For in him, the fullness of God dwelt. And it was the fullness of God in his love that went to the cross. And his blood covers everything that he ever created. Whether it's created and has now evolved The whole of God's creation is now caught up in the redemptive work of Christ on the cross. And one day, who knows how or when, it will be restored. Ransomed, healed, restored, forgiven. That is the journey that this creation is on. Though we as human beings do everything we can to smash it and to spoil it, Yet, God is at work. His kingdom is coming. And one day, he will restore all things to himself and make peace because of what Jesus has done. So maybe as we go back home and the rain is lashing down and maybe the snow comes again, Uh, Another day, we can learn to love the rain, we can learn to love the snow, we can think of the snowflakes and their incredible mystery and uniqueness. The effects of those things can be devastating. But if we learn to love what God loves, we can be motivated from our hearts as well as our heads to act. To make sacrifices ourselves and to be people who are as committed to God's planet and His people as God is. For He loved this world so much, there was nothing He would hold back from doing. Let's pray. Father, we Are in awe of your love for us and for the world. And we thank you that you are a God who can breathe on us and breathe in us your love more and more. So we pray that we might learn not to live life in a hurry but to stop and pause and pray with thanksgiving to you for all around us. To allow you to breathe on us and to fill us anew with your spirit of love. In Jesus' name. Amen.